Welcome to week three of our Death to Selfie series. Um, we're going to have a good time. Hey, I want to say one more thing and reiterate what Aaron and Dina had said in the announcements. Baptism service coming up November 5th, uh, and we're going to have some water up here. It's going to be like a cow's feeding trough, and we're going to fill it with water, and then um, the band's going to be behind us. We're going to have some video testimonies going, and then um, we're going to uh, have some people proclaim Christ for life and come out of the water, and everyone's going to be erupting and, ch and cheering and yelling and clapping. It's going to be exciting. So if you're interested in baptism, come and talk to me, uh, Stephen, uh, Brittany, or you can email prodigalchurch at yahoo.com. Uh, can I get your lights on real quick? I want to see you guys' pretty faces. Um, there are many creeds <clears throat> that have been formational throughout church history. Um, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, but one creed seems to have influenced the church as a whole more than any other creed, and that is the Toddler's Creed. This is the Toddler's Creed. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it will never belong to anyone else no matter what. If we are building something together, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. <laughs> this creed has been more influential than all of the other Christian creeds because it reveals our natural tendency towards selfishness, toward looking out for number one. Uh, there was a book written by uh, Robert Ringer uh, called Looking Out for Number One, and it was a bestseller in America for 46 weeks. 46 weeks. Uh, I, I had to search for a long time, but I did find a book that's called Looking Out for Number Two. Okay, this is it. Never heard of it, never seen it before. Had to really search to find that it even exists. It didn't quite sell as many copies as Looking Out for Number One. My uh, daughter, Ivy, is four months old. Here's a quick picture of her. Um, yeah, <laughs> she took her own selfie. Um, and... Uh, I love Ivy more than life itself, but my four-month-old baby, she, hers is selfish, okay? It is all about her. Can you believe that she just cries whenever she wants something? She doesn't ask nicely, just wham. She's selfish. Uh, the selfishness acted out by our young ones also reveal the selfishness that is within us still. But there's hope. Because there's also something deep inside of us that compels us and moves us out of selfishness to selflessness. And we can start by acknowledging this, that you, like my daughter, were once very, very selfish as a baby, okay? It was all about you. You didn't care whose ear you screamed in. You didn't care who you pooped on. You didn't care who you threw up on. You don't care who you woke up, whose sleep you interrupted nine times in one night. You didn't care. You wanted what you wanted, and that was your motto, even if you didn't have words to say it. But as you grew from infancy to toddlerhood, you were still pretty selfish, but occasionally you felt a generous impulse in your soul, right? Your parents are feeding you Cheerios, and as they're feeding you Cheerios, you mimic something that they are doing to you, and you pull out that gooey Cheerio, and you offer it to your parents as a holy wafer, right? 
and then you offer it to them, and then they eat it like they're taking communion, right? Because there's something powerful. Oh, daddy loves it. Thank you. And then maybe a few weeks later, your infant or your toddler realizes that they can make their brother or sister laugh by making a fart noise <laughs> with their mouth. And they go, and then brother, sister laughs. And then your, your toddler's like, oh, that got people to laugh. And so they start doing it again. This is a toddler's version of selflessness, of generosity. In these episodes, you're, you are discovering the toddler's version of the joy of selflessness, of generosity. In these episodes, that's what you discover. Did you see how this relates to the life of faith, right? We've all been selfish. God, help me. God, I need this. God, I want this. God, do this. And we're so self-centered, even in our prayers. Then we see that life just isn't just about me, that we have these moments of selflessness. So we give to a great cause. And then almost immediately, we're like, why did I give all that money away to those kids? And there's this tension inside of us moving us either towards selfishness or toward selflessness. There's a pushing of the Spirit of God moving us away from life being only about you. Where are you at? Are you stuck in the place where God's supposed to give you everything you want all the time? Or are you being moved by the Spirit of God to generosity, to selflessness, moved to greater love? We are in week, week three of our Death to Selfie sermon series, and the title for this, this morning's message is this, Moving from Selfish to Selfless. And our scripture for this morning comes from the greatest sermon ever spoken, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to really only focus in on verse 41, but let's give the whole context. This is Jesus teaching here, and he says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek is also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here in the teachings of Jesus, we find another phrase that has found its way into English slang, right? Going the extra mile. Okay, here's a few examples. I let my friend borrow my car for two days, and he brought it back with a tank filled, and he even went the extra mile and had it waxed and detailed as well. Okay? Or I took my wife to dinner last night. We went to McDonald's, but I went the extra mile, and I let her supersize it. Okay? And finally, probably the most accurate example, normal men put very little product in their hair, okay? But our worship pastor, Stephen Rutledge, he goes the extra mile and puts a smorgasbord of hair products in his flowing blonde hair. <laughs> Way to go, Steve. When we say extra mile, we're saying someone goes beyond what is regularly called for. And this expression is rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And so what's the point of Jesus' teaching here, just to go above and beyond? Well, to answer that, we first have to go back to first century Palestine. See, Jesus taught this against the backdrop of Roman oppression. So to get a sense of context, imagine if the Nazis would have won World War II and 
they were exerting their power and dominance through regular graphic public executions, high taxation, ongoing insult. This is what it was like for the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. Israel was an oppressed and conquered nation. Rome was ruling over them and ruling over them quite brutally. When Jesus said, love your enemies, his audience didn't have to wonder what he was talking about, okay? Uh, Roman soldiers were allowed to compel people to carry their uh, gear for one mile. Now, to prevent them from complete abuse of their power, Roman military law demanded that after one mile, they had to let that person go and ask someone else to carry their gear. Now, the Roman mile was 1,000 paces, 1,520 yards, just a little bit shorter than the English mile. But imagine that you're leaving home one afternoon to run an errand and perhaps to a local market, and you see this Roman soldier on the side, you would cross on the other side of the road, right? Because at any moment, he could say, hey, come here, carry my stuff. And you'd go completely far away, completely out of your way. Or imagine just being a passerby. There stood a Roman soldier barking orders. He says, hey, Jew, carry my bag, carry my gear. And then you watch and, 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 and see this Jewish person plead and say, sir, I have to go open my business. I, I have to be there by a certain time. I don't have time. I can't. Can you ask someone else? And he says, Jew, carry my gear. He draws his sword. So finally, the Jew, after disagreeing, submits to the Roman oppression. See, it's easy to miss the magnitude of going the extra mile. It wasn't just a cute phrase. This was a real love ethic in a real hate and oppressed society. The Jews didn't have to wonder what it meant to love our enemies and who their enemy was. It wasn't religious philosophy 101. No, it was a real life love ethic right then and there. Now imagine you, yourself, you've been pressed into submission, forced to carry the soldier's gear. The shield alone was 22 pounds. If you are a Christ follower, when, then as you're walking alongside your enemy under the burdens of his weapons of war, you take time to remind yourself and meditate on the reality of who this soldier really is. He is a man made in the image of God, precious, infinitely precious to our creator. This Roman's race, religion, and role he plays as your oppressor fades into obscurity in comparison to the love that God has for this person. Here's a man who has been victimized since childhood, being told a lie of this oppressive state, a system that taught him what wrong was right, that hate was good, that violence was the answer. Yes, you are at war, but not with him. Rather, you're with the systems and ideas that have brought oppression to all of you. You're at war with the ideas that have brought both of you into this situation. And so at the end of the mile, when the Roman centurion releases you and your obligation is done, and he begins to look for another person to carry this burden, you change the power dynamic through love. You don't drop his gear. You offer to take it another mile. You keep walking. And at first, he's confused. The experience is kind of something beyond his paradigm, right? He doesn't understand. He has no filter for this. But not wanting to get into an argument with someone who's trying to help him, he accepts. 
and off you go again. The first mile here is oppressive, but the second mile, it's transformative. Now, everything has changed for you, and everything has changed for him. For you, the first mile was oppression. The second mile was freedom. For you, the first mile was compulsion, and the second mile was volition. While the first mile was systematic hate, the second mile was a revelation of God's reconciling love. The first mile was the way of the kingdom of Rome. The second mile was a revelation of the kingdom of God. For the soldier, while the first mile was just mindless business as usual activity, the second mile is a shock to his political, religious, and cultural systems. It forces everything into a human and a humanizing relationship. For him, the choice you made became a, a moment of potential illumination for his life. The second mile you walked allowed him contemplation of the role he was playing. You've given him an opportunity to see life differently, to awaken him from his slumber of oppressive. You've given him the chance to see you not so much as a slave, but rather as a fellow human being. You've helped him see himself as more than an oppressor, to see himself as one in need of this new paradigm. On the surface, enemy love may not work, right, in any one situation. After all, Jesus loved his enemies and it got him killed. But followers of Jesus, we don't live life on the surface. We look beneath the skin tone and the clothing and the attitudes and the accents. We look past the hatred of others to see the love that God has for everyone. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. We look past immediate outcomes in specific situations to see the greater kingdom of God being spread. And as Christ followers, we're called to serve, to do more than expected, to go the extra mile. I have never ran a marathon, okay? I've seen them on TV. Um, and at the beginning of every race, it's jam-packed, okay? It's extremely crowded. You've seen this, right? So many people, everyone's together. But if you've ever watched the finishes, they're not like this. It's like one person, five minutes later, somebody else straggles through. Half the people have bowed out. I've never seen a finish line crowded with runners. See, the first mile is crowded, but the second mile is not busy at all. The first mile is congested, and the second mile is not very well-traveled. First mile is bumper to bumper, second mile smooth sailing. Will you be one who follows Jesus to the second mile? A couple of years ago, I was at a friend's 30th birthday party, and it was at this nicer restaurant, and it happened to be like in late spring, and it was surprisingly freezing. But it, she had like the whole patio reserved. And so we're all outside. And I was like in a short sleeve shirt. And I'm freezing. We're out there for about 30 minutes. Finally, I asked the waitress, I go, hey, would you be able to give me a cup of coffee? And I'm like, this is going to help me stay a little bit warm. And uh, 20 minutes later, the coffee shows up. And I was like, that's rude. And so like I'm receiving the coffee. And I'm like frostbit, right? I'm dipping my hands into the coffee to, to make sure they're not numb. And... 
And so now to get the coffee off my hands, I got to go to the restroom. So I go inside the restroom. It's nice. Uh, inside the restaurant, it's nice and warm. And I go to the men's restroom, pff, locked. I'm like, man. And then I just had this like brilliant idea. I, uh, should I try the women's restroom? <laughs> and I, there's this debate in my head, and I literally thought to myself, this went through my mind. You know what? They, they took 20 minutes to get me my coffee. So, yeah, I'm going to use the women's restroom. And so I touch the handle, and I check it, and it moved. So I kind of look to see if anybody can see. And it's a one-stall restroom, okay? And so I, I open it up, and guys, I just need to let you guys know something, okay? Women's restrooms are so much nicer than ours. <laughs> there's like paintings, candles, there's a couch. It's a one-stall restroom, and there's a couch. <laughs> I felt like I opened the door to a whole other world. It was hard to put into words. So I wash my hands, get the coffee off, and then I dry my hands on a paper towel, and then I throw the paper towel into the trash can that was a little bit overflowing, and it rolled off and fell onto the ground. So then I thought to myself, it took you 20 minutes to get my decaf, so you can pick up that little paper towel that fell on the ground. I can't believe that went through my mind, okay? I am ashamed of my actions. Your pastor is a very flawed human being. <laughs> Going the second mile here is picking up the paper towel and probably the other paper towels that were on the ground as well, putting it in the trash can, and then doing that, right? <laughs> Stepping it down, making it better for everyone else. Second mile is giving the waiter a good tip not harboring resentment towards them. Listen, if we start small, if we establish an attitude of service above self, of selflessness rather than selfishness, you begin to construct this beautiful life of love rather than a typical attitude of looking out for number one. I read of a True story of a Chinese farmer that during the growing season, he had this hand worker uh, water pump. And he, he would pump water into his field, and then it would water each day. Uh, what he discovered was that uh, his field wasn't getting water, but his neighbor was. See, his neighbor dug a hole through his fence line and received all the water that he had pumped into his own field, and it went and neighbored the neighbor's field, went and watered all of it. And this Chinese farmer's like, that's so frustrating. And so after a couple of days of this, where he would have to pump multiple times to fill up the neighbor's field and also his field, he went to a Christian brother of his and said, what can I do? Okay, what, what am I supposed to do? I've tried to be patient. I've tried not to retaliate, retaliate. What am I supposed to do? What's the Christ thing to do? And the Christian brother prayed and replied, if we only do the right thing, Surely we are poor Christians. We have to do something more than right. And the Christian farmer was so impressed by this answer that the next day he went out first thing in the morning and he watered his neighbor's field and then took a rest and then went out the afternoon and watered his own field. And after multiple days of doing this, uh, 
the neighbor had blocked the hole and was so blown away. And after asking questions as to why this farmer would water the neighbor's field and not complain and then water his own field, this neighbor became a follower of Jesus. Second mile. Second mile. Are you committed to live in the second mile? To love your neighbor is the first mile. To love your enemy is the second. To bless those who bless you is the first mile. To bless those who curse you is the second. To do good to those who do good to you, that's the first mile. To do good to those who hate you is the second. To pray for those who pray for you is the first mile. Praying for those who use you is the second. How can we become second milers in our own home? See if you can see yourself in this scenario. You and the spouse sitting in the living room enjoying a TV show. When a need arises, maybe one of the kids starts crying or you realize the trash needs to get taken out and you both realize that this needs to get done. And so you look at each other and the wheels are turning. Whose turn is it to go do this? Whose turn is it to change that diaper? And sometimes you get into an argue, um, sometimes you get into intense fellowship with your spouse as to whose turn it is. One or the other is guilted into being the one and they do it reluctantly. Now contrast that with the servant's attitude um, where you volunteer and you say, I'll do it. That in turn makes the other person want to do it. The reason our homes may not be as happy and as loving as we desire is because some of us aren't going that second mile. Some of us don't have the service above self attitude, but rather the serve me above yourself attitude. Men, let's lead the way in this. Let's lead the way in sacrificial love for our families. If every married couple in this church would ignore what they want in these moments and go the second mile, I truly believe that every home would be much happier from selfish to selfless. Sometimes Sarah asks me to get something for her. And I might be downstairs or like in a really comfortable position. Um, and there are times when she asks me to go get something and I'll go like this. <sighs> and it's subtle, okay? I have come to realize that Sarah has excellent hearing. <laughs> um, that she hears my sighs and my groans. Do you think I'm being a willing servant? Think I'm going the second mile when I feel this way. No, I just don't want to be bothered. And I'm also not being an effective witness to the lordship of Christ in my life. Serve at home, serve at work. We must lead and live with that loving and willing spirit at home, but also at church. A attending church is the first mile. Serving and blessing others at the expense of self is the second mile. Uh, they don't know I'm going to do this, but Aaron and Dina Tenney, they did our announcements today. They're second milers. Uh, we have a 30-foot trailer that we're not able to store anywhere near here. We have to store it near Clovis North High School, uh, near Copper Avenue. Aaron and Dina live near River Park. And so every single Sunday morning at 6 a.m., Aaron drives his 4x4 all the way to Clovis North, picks up that trailer, loads it, connects it, drives it here to Bullard High School, unloads it, stays all morning 
And then at the end, when we're finally done with everything, we've loaded all the, 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 the carts back into the trailer. I get to go home, and Aaron drives that truck all the way back to Clovis North and drops off the trailer and then back to his home in River Park. His wife helps him. She's better backing up the trailer than he is. <laughs> True story. The last thing I want to do on a Sunday afternoon is do more work once I leave here. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I want to watch the football and maybe play with my kids, um, maybe take a nap or two. That's what I want to do. And Aaron and Dina never complain and do it every single week. That's second mile Christianity. That's right. That's right. There are countless other second milers in our church, and there are lots of opportunities for us to go the second mile in our church. Trunk or treat. That is a way to be a second mile. To give ourselves away in sacrificial love. We're gonna, so we're going to decorate trunks, um, and we're going to have a plaque Prodigal Church Trunk or Treat, and then we're going to have names of the best decorated trunks uh, every year. And so for the next 10 years, we're going to have a competition, and we want our people to get really excited. We're going to decorate our trunk. We're going to make it super exciting to bless these kids. We're going to go all out, and we're going to go the second mile to bless the kids in our community. You can decorate your trunk. You can donate candy. You can uh, be one of the carnival games. You could be a carny. You can be a carny and run the carnival games, okay? Just be a little bit nicer, smile more. Now, you can sign up to serve there. We also have kids ministry and tech and setup and teardown um, and greeters and hospitality. There are lots of ways you can serve. And there might be a line back there in the foyer to sign up. That's okay. You can wait. Uh, we want to be a service above self kind of place. It's real simple. This is what I'm trying to say. Rule number one, love God. He's number one. Rule number two, love others. They're number two. Rule number three and following, see rule number one and two. That's what it's about. I want to invite Steve and the worship band up as we uh, close with this song. Uh, I read of this old Jewish folklore about a small Jewish town in Russia. In this town, there was a rabbi who was said to disappear every Friday morning for several hours. His devoted disciples would boast during those hours, every Friday morning, the rabbi goes up to heaven and speaks to God. So a stranger moves into town and he's skeptical about this so-called rabbi who ascends into heaven every Friday morning for several hours and speaks with the divine. And so he decides, I'm going to follow him. And so he uh, stays outside the rabbi's humble cottage and he waits for him on uh, Friday early morning hours. And before the sun rises at 4 a.m., this rabbi wakes up, puts on the clothes of a, a peasant, grabs an axe, goes off into the woods, cuts some firewood, then hauls stacks and stacks of firewood to a small shack on the outskirts of the village. There was an old woman and her sick son who lived there, and he leaves the firewood, enough for a week, then he sneaks back home with no one seeing him. Having observed the rabbi's actions, 
this newcomer stays on to become a disciple. And whenever a new person comes into the community and says that our rabbi ascends into heaven every Friday morning, this new convert now says, if not higher, if not higher, you wanna be great, serve. Jesus says the greatest among you will be the servant. You wanna be first, be last. Maybe you're a young person and when that bell rings, every, everyone runs out of class and then the teacher stays behind to stack the chairs. What if you stack the chairs? Maybe you're a teenager and you eat your food so super fast and then you wanna go and watch TV and mom and dad clean the dishes. What if you stayed and cleaned the dishes? What if you were the one who did the laundry? What if you were the one who took the trash out? What were you who cleaned the dog poop? Whatever it is, what could you do and to carve out a life of being a second miler? It's transformative. It was transformative for the first century Palestinian Christian who picked up that Roman's gear and walked with him an additional mile. It was transformative for him and it was transformative for the oppressor. Could it be transformative for your marriage? Could it be transformative at your workplace? Could it be transformative in your family life? Could it be transformative in your relationship with God? Instead of God, give me, give me, I need, I need. God, what would you have me do? My life is yours. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we go that extra mile. That we don't do the bare minimum, that we go above and beyond. God, I thank you that you went the second mile for us. You went the extra mile for us, that you went to the cross and died a hellish death to give us new life, to begin this new creation on our planet, this new mission. So God, I pray that we'd be a part of that. Speak to us, God, whatever that is, whatever ways that you brought up to our heart, to our spirit, to go this second mile, God, I pray that we would do it in Jesus' name, that we would make that decision that I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go above and beyond. I'm not just gonna go that second mile. I'm gonna continue and I wanna listen to your spirit's voice and lead me how and where I can show the love of God. And it's transforming my life and the life of others. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this song? It says, your name ever be on my lips. This beautiful love song between us sung to our creator who loves us more than life itself.